Joso. Uh, no. More about gel coat. When the force. Don't you call in the. More importantly. Hey there, Tootie Fruities. It is episode 16 of TV Talkaholics. I am David Almeida, and it is my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Emmy Award Purchasing Artist, Matthew Arder. David, I feel like you're bringing up Tootie Fruities just to, um, just to tease me and slap me in the face. What? I called Tootie Fruities are the names of our, our, our uh, sponsors. I am on patrons. day 22 of the whole 30, David, and I would give my left nut for a spoonful of peanut butter. So when you bring up a delicious cereal like Tootie Fruities, it just makes <laughs> my mouth water. Now, now, whole 30, that sounds like a video that I saw at Xtube. Yeah. And um what is what is this whole 30 that you are speaking of? Well, it does feel like I've been I'm on number 22 of a gangbang, I'll tell you that. Oh, the colon blow. Whole 30 is um some awful torturous thing that some asshole created because they've convinced you that food is bad. <laughs> so what is it whole as in whole foods foods that are whole not processed foods i might as well be a goddamn caveman david i might <laughs> as well be out there thumping a badger with a log and dragging it by the tail home so i can cook it over an open fire <laughs> but uh are you are you finding any success with the diet is it is it i mean how do you how do you feel what is your fitness level? i don't feel a goddamn bit of difference oh no between now and the day before i started this i honestly don't have I you don't. gotten on a scale is there has no you... it tells you not to get on scales david get your chakras in line load it light <laughs> a patchouli candle excuse me sorry Scales are numbers numbers are bad so okay i didn't realize i was going to be getting hangry matthew god made sugar david <laughs> I'm not laughing with you. I'm laughing at you. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I can't even have honey. You I have, what? I can't even have honey. No artificial sweeteners. But honey is a natural substance. It's still it's an artificial sweetener. Uh-huh. Well, can you have sugar? I mean, sugar's a sweetener. No. Sugar came no. out of the ground. You just said God invented it. No, he can't. God wow. Nutrisweet as well for those of us with the Diet Coke addiction. Mm -hmm. but apparently, Diet Coke is bad now. Cancel culture, David, is what it is. <laughs> no. They're trying to cancel delicious food. I'm sorry you're going through this. Mm. Dieting is the worst. I, I can't even get started doing it. And I need to because I've, I've got my extra COVID weight. And, and I was carrying extra weight for about uh, four years before that. So we're getting into the, the like the land of ridiculous and I haven't fucking done something about it. But do you know how much <sighs> it costs to eat healthy? This is why Americans are fat. Because oh. it's fucking expensive to fucking eat healthy. That's all. Because you're buying fresh produce and fresh... Yeah. Freshly cut meat? Do you, do you just do you carve it off the bone yourself at the butcher? Or might as well, might as well go mm -hmm. for the bone myself at the butcher. <laughs> might as well go for the cleaver at the butcher and just put it up to my neck. 
Day 31, I, I am having a Domino's pizza. I do not care what happens to me. Damn right you should. That's your reward. Well, uh, I, I'm very sorry that you're hangry and not in the best of spirits, but I know one thing that I'm sure would lift the spirits of even the hangriest of people is the wonderful 1981 TV movie called Twirl. 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 A TV made-for-TV made movie, David. It was, according to everything I read, the TV answer to the movie Smile. <laughs> we talked about Smile. Why does Smile keep coming up on your podcast, David? I don't know. There's clearly something trying to trying to push us towards it. Maybe we need to watch the original movie. No, even. you do not. It, oh, did you see no. it? Oh, yes. It's awful. But then you say the musicalization is awful. Why would they make an awful musical out of an awful movie? I don't know. Why Why do we have a musical about Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? Why not? Mm -hmm. People fucking will do anything. Or the Witches of Eastwick that can't get to Broadway. Or Dirty Dancing the musical that can't get to Broadway. Or Ghost the musical that was so goddamn bad that Orlando actually only gave it half a standing ovation. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the musical too. They did it here. It's one of those shows that people, I love a good flop. It's not a good flop. And don't yeah. force it on other people. That's <laughs> what people do with their flops. I love a good flop. Here, listen to this recording. No, it flopped. I hate it. it there's a reason this fucking show flopped. Anyway, we're not talking about smile. No, we're talking about twirl. Give me a fucking spoonful of peanut butter, David. <laughs> we'll do this. I promise on day 31, I will reward you. I'll bring you a spoonful of peanut butter as a thank don't, you. Don't tease me. What are you going to wear when you bring it over? Um, my my large size t-shirt that is too small for me. That I have to keep pulling on away from my waist to try and increase the diameter of the fucking shirt so that it's not like a, a, an unintentional Spanx garment. Uh -huh. But all that really does is just lift it up and show your belly button and your underwear. Ugh. Like your underwear, base of your underwear. Go ahead. Anyway, we'll talk about that later, too. <laughs> see what he does to me, listeners? You see what he does? He's <laughs> threatening to come over here and dance in front of me half naked wait a minute, with wait. a spoonful of peanut butter. Who said like dance? God, wait a minute. Like he's goddamn Mary Poppins. <laughs> well... We, we haven't started talking about Twirl, and I realized we haven't talked about one thing, too. Let me, here's my segue. Twirl, a movie that did not win any Emmy Awards. But the reason why I introduced you, Matthew, as an Emmy Award purchasing artist is because when we connected today, you so proudly showed off to me that you have an Emmy Award. I do, David. I do. Uh-huh. <laughs> in its own special little showcase with lights and uh listeners i'm gonna post a, a picture of this but it's directly behind matthew when he's on his computer recording so he is always leaning over on his elbow to try and make sure you can see the emmy award behind him yeah <laughs> that's the prop i ever bought it was and it is it is a prop you were telling me yeah, it's an exact replica of an Emmy Award because it's the prettiest award there is. It is. It's really the the idea of the 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 winged chick holding the big metal globe thing. Yeah, 
Totally. That says television to me. Just as much as a big guy standing there holding a sword represents film. Mm-hmm. At least the Grammys, it's a record player for crying out right. loud. And uh, and the Tonys. What What is know. the Tony anyway? It's like, it's like a fucking you've been here for 10 years award. <laughs> at a company it looks like that like oh here's your tony you've been here for 10 years that's right it's it's like a spinny coin with the comedy tragedy masks on it yeah and before they were that it was like literally just like a plate like you won like a like a a plate that said tony. Like, a, like a candy dish kind of huh wow anyway we are about to embark on the journey of uh, deconstructing this wonderful TV movie called Twirl. And uh, <sighs> yeah, do you wanna, um, you wanna um, give a general uh, synopsis? It's, it's a movie about um, the Miss Twirl USA pageant, but you wish it were a documentary. Oh yes, <laughs> oh God, I'd, yes. I'd be much more interested in the actual people that do this and and have these feelings for baton twirling. Uh-huh. I, I, <laughs> I certainly understand fandom and I certainly understand obsessive fandom as I sit in front of a wall with nine Hello Dolly posters on it. I understand. <laughs> but uh, there were a couple of times I was like, oh, come, it's a fucking baton twirling contest. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, it was it was crazy. You'd think this was life or death. And you'd think it was the Miss fucking Universe pageant, the what they put them through. Yeah, <laughs> it's so bizarre. I think uh, bringing up the fact that you wish it were a documentary, that's a good movie to compare it to, is Drop Dead Gorgeous. It's like the melodrama narrative version it's not it is not a mockumentary even it's just a narrative film and a little heavy on the the melodrama uh over that but yeah you do wish oh my god if someone it, it would be it would have been the greatest uh prequel or sequel to drop dead gorgeous to do this with that same type of a treatment i would love that oof oof <laughs> mm. well while you sit there oofing <laughs> We're going to talk about some basics. The movie is an hour and 36 minutes long. It is available for viewing for free on YouTube. I've already posted it on the Patreon for the patrons of the show. And uh, hopefully you may have watched it ahead of time. But even if you didn't, we're going to describe it to you like you're there. You too could be one of the 67,000 people on the planet that have watched this YouTube video <laughs> in nine years. And I am two of them. <laughs> I think I'm three. <laughs> well, here's an interesting thing. The film was directed by Gus Triconis. Yes. Gus the Wonderful. Gus Triconis, in his early career, was an actor and a dancer. He is one of the sharks in the film version of West Side Story, which he had also done previously in the Broadway production. And, and I have to pause a minute here and say, when you look up pictures of him in West Side Story and they show you pictures of the sharks, oh my God, the brown face. Yeah. The, the clearly darker, 
pancake makeup they put all of them in to make sure they they look ethnical got to make sure they don't look anything close to caucasian even though mr traconis likely is greek based on that name and we've got italian guys and um wasn't george chakiris like spanish from spain spanish Chita rivera was the only latina person in that movie <laughs> rita moreno well same same tomato tomato <laughs> But then he got into directing, and as it describes him in IMDb, I love this description. Gus Traconis was a very efficient and underrated director of delightfully down-and-dirty 70s drive-in, low-budget exploitation fare. And did you look him up? Did you see what some of the names of the movies he directed were? Well, I, I saw that the one he directed the year after this one was a TV movie called Miss All-American Beauty. And it stars Cloris Leachman. <laughs> what? Wait a minute. How did I miss that? And we are so going to do that on a future TV Talkaholics, I think. Surprise, it's about a Miss Teenage Beauty pageant. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. But looking at Gus Traconis's uh, directing bay. <laughs> directing roster he started directing in 1969 i'm just going to list a couple of the names of the movies that he's done five the hard way Ooh, i think i was in a version of that on a stage <laughs> i was in the stage version of that um, in <laughs> Tijuana. Um, we sold the movie rights so we could buy the donkey <laughs> go on next one i am not kidding you 1975 Supercock. Oh my God, that was the comedy with Rip Taylor I did for, that never got picked up. Oh, you did the, the sitcom version for CBS. Was it? Oh, that network they they don't yeah. know about progressive television. Rip um, Taylor played a rooster that told the weather on a local news channel in somewhere in Georgia. <laughs> Supercock. <laughs> And then we have The Swinging Barmaids, Nashville Girl, The Student I, Body. Auditioned for those, didn't get it. Uh-huh. Moonshine County Express, uh, She's Dressed to Kill. And uh, he did direct the same year as this, Take This Job and Shove It. Yeah, I misunderstood the directions on that audition. Oh, did you? You read for it? Well, I just I went literal with it. Uh, and that is not what they wanted to see at 10 a.m. I'm sorry to say, David. <laughs> so, uh, yes, he is. He ended up going on and doing a lot of TV, a lot of series television and including some Baywatches uh, and some Beauty and the Beast. That was the the wonderful Ron Perlman, Linda Hamilton, tawdry uh romantical show and uh the other thing that is of note of director gus traconis he was married to goldie hahn from 1969 to 1976. Well, so until she became famous uh, no in fact yeah i forget how fucking old she is yeah <laughs> but yeah the laughing and cactus flower and all that that was 69 there and apparently according to one of the accounts of it is she and he were already living together i believe as the kids would call it shacking up in my head she didn't get famous until private benjamin so oh no she was famous a good decade before that um 
So, yeah, and she said that she wanted to be married to him because she was starting to get famous and that was going to start being a thing and she wanted to be a married woman as opposed to a living in sin. So they divorced in 76 and, uh, yeah, one of the reasons of the failure of the marriage, Goldie was starting to be the Oscar-winning movie star. She was starting to really ascend into the mainstream and he was like, uh, he was Mr. Counterculture. Yeah. So, um, yeah, too bad. Too bad that didn't work out. Now, we have three writers credited for this, Matthew. <laughs> Did they speak to each other? I'm not so sure. The story was by Gabriel Grunfeld and oh. Ken Vrana. You know, there's nothing I like better than the witticisms and craft of a Grunfeld Vrana story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in a TV movie. Uh, Grunfeld only has two writing credits, this and one episode of Welcome Back, Cotter. He has six producing credits, uh, including The Stepford Wives in 2004, the the Nicole Kidman remake of The Stepford Wives, and the 2006 reality show, Who Wants to Be a Superhero? Remember that one? Oh, I loved that show. Did you? Yeah, it was real sweet. It wasn't like one of those exploitative look at these freaks kind of a show. Oh, completely. And they were all <laughs> actors. So it was like, it wasn't like they actually had superhero like characters that they had created. They were clearly actors that auditioned. And they were like, oh, you're the fat black girl. You're going to play um, Wonder Donut. And she would eat donuts to give her superpowers. Wow. Yeah, it was awful. And then Ken Vrana he has only a handful of of credits a scant number including he produced and directed a documentary called snow angels in 2003. i don't even know what that is and uh, these are the story dudes they're the ones that came up with this idea the actual teleplay was written by bernard m khan k-a-h-n i don't believe he's related to the wonderful madeline khan but uh, he has four producing credits and five writing credits. That's it. And there's nothing that I recall being of note or that jumped out in my memory. So we, we got a dream team assembled here, Matthew. Don't you think? I, I can't imagine why this didn't at least get nominated for more awards other than um, favorite juvenile performance <laughs> from Family Circle magazine. <laughs> Favorite juvenile performance. So is they talking about Missy Gold or are they talking about one of the, the leads? I think, I think Lisa Welchel was nominated for best juvenile performance. Didn't didn't she win? No. No. That must have been devastating. She was up against Meryl Streep. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So Matthew, picture yeah. it. Sunday, October 25th, 1981. We are at home. We are getting our costumes ready for for Halloween coming up in a few days. That night, that Sunday night on NBC at 9 p.m. after Chips is when the world was introduced to this amazing movie called Twirl. So it's an NBC. Was opposite Facts of Life on NBC? Yes, it was. But Happy Days was on ABC. So we were... Uh, dipping into two networks here as far as our two stars. And Erin Moran did get top billing because she technically had been around longer than Lisa Welchel. 
See, every poster that I looked up had fucking um, top billing went to, oddly enough, Sharon Spellman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's that video. It's like a video cover and it lists the three adults. Yeah. And Aaron Moran. Moran. Bill Moran. Whatever. Yeah. I'm just going to call her Joni. Joni. Was, <laughs> wasn't by 81, was she on um, Happy Days still or was she on Joni and Chachi by then? She was on Happy Days. Joni Loves Chachi would not happen until 1982. Okay. And that only lasted a season or a season and a half. And then she went back to Happy Days. Uh, yes. But before we start talking about Erin Moran and Lisa Welchel in detail, mm -hmm. uh, just to recap what else was on that same night. On ABC, we had the series premiere of Today's FBI. Actually, it was two one-hour episodes they ran back-to-back, -back, but it was the first time. It was the um, first airing of this. It only lasted 18 episodes, and it was an attempt to update the FBI, the TV show that ran from 1965 to 1974. And it uh, didn't work. wonder why. Yeah. I don't know who starred in it, but I don't recall the names being anything that jumped out at me. Yeah. And then on CBS, which is honestly, this is where I would have been tuned in. CBS, we had this powerhouse of sitcoms, Archie Bunker's Place, One Day at a Time, Alice, and The Jeffersons. Oh, God. No wonder nobody saw this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it was up against a, a tough, tough block here. Um, but yeah. So the movie stars, as we already talked about, Erin Moran, best known for playing Joni on Happy Days. Happy Days ran 11 seasons. Jesus Christ. <laughs> from 1974 to 1984. Good Lord, it ran all the way to 1984? Yeah. And, oh, and the episode that is the Jump the Shark episode, that where that term was coined, that ran in September of 1977. So Happy Days, which begot the term Jump the Shark, it jumped the shark only three years into a 10-year run in which 11 seasons happened. I don't know how that all, I don't do the math there, but it says it's 11 seasons. But hope well, there are people that would wager that the facts of life has jumped the shark. Now that they're in as is edibles. Yeah, and Matthew, I'm not sure uh, anything has happened yet to sway me otherwise, as far as I have found seasons five and six at Edna's Edibles to be wildly inconsistent. <laughs> I mean, it's becoming you, a sitcom, just like the Golden Girls, where they did not expect two queens to sit down and analyze this fucking show. Well, what everybody we next. We couldn't remember that Natalie didn't. Oh, wait, didn't Natalie already say she was going to college in this episode? How dare her say that she's not two seasons fucking later. Uh, it's called a show Bible. It should have <laughs> existed. I don't know why it didn't occur to them to make one, but it's called a show Bible. You could read it once in a fucking while. Paul Haggis, before you go on to your Oscar winning work. 
All I can do is say, if you, assuming everyone listening to this listens to the podcast, I think that my uh, problems with seasons five and six are justified, and I have certainly not been specific and voluminous in laying out the reasons why I believe that. No, you've you've shared your opinion. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, unfortunately, we lost Ms. Erin Moran. She died in 2017 at the age of 56 to throat cancer. My God, she's your age. And so, shut your pie hole. I was not 56 in 2017. Suck my dick. Anyway. You see, uh, you see the offers he gives me later? <laughs> <laughs> But the deal is, uh, she had fallen on hard times. She was one of those former famous people that ended up living in a trailer park and had no money and clearly wasn't con collecting any residuals. That wasn't a thing. And uh, it's too bad. Her life ended up uh, kind of ending too early and somewhat tragically. And then we have her co-star, the wonderful Lisa Welchel, your close personal friend. The beautiful, the gorgeous. gorgeous my god she the camera just loves her oh, beautiful beautiful girl yeah now this would have been filmed in between seasons two and three of the facts of life so we are still in the eastland years we don't have any layers in her hair we still have just that beautiful sun-kissed long flowing cascading mane that we love so goddamn much just stunningly beautiful and um and and this is taking place in texas this is about texas twirlers and it stars erin moran who is a california girl raised uh on the west coast lisa welchel texas girl her accent authentic that's how she talked growing up and as we've pointed out occasionally unintentionally talked on the facts of life yeah yeah Last thing before we go on, just about uh, where I, I'm going to call them Aaron and Lisa. I will uh, be calling them Joni and Blair. <laughs> uh, but the um, they are both in high school with <laughs> this, correct? I would assume so because, well, but it's 1981. Right. So. Well, the, the deal is that Aaron Moran is 20 in this the actress is 20 and lisa welchel is either 17 or 18. i think they might have been filming right around her birthday in the springtime or summer so she's likely i'm, I'm gonna go with 18. so we've got a a two-year difference between them and they're playing besties and it didn't even occur to me do they ever go to school in this or is this like a summer vacation story i guess it has I, to be summer. i assumed it was a summer vacation story yeah now that I, I, I've watched it twice, you'd think I would have noticed, but I'm like, I don't think or believe there was anything to do with school. This was a extracurricular, as it were. Uh, so yeah, the long and short of it is that this is about the goings on behind the scenes of competing in the Miss Twirl USA baton spinning twirling competition. Yeah. And uh, we have these two best friends and uh, they come from different families. And at the beginning of the show, they say, let's not ever, ever let anything come between us, even though we're both competing for this same title. And then the movie proceeds to present us all of the things that come between them 
And for the most part, that is their their families. Yeah. On, from, the, on, on the way they, they make it sound, on their quest for world domination. <laughs> Even the families make it yeah. sound like if you win this pageant, your life is going to change. Yeah. I will be a somebody. I will be a somebody. People ask me for my autograph. Yeah. Will they? Will they? <laughs> so, yeah. And then, so we've got kind of the build up to uh, the two of them. And then inevitably we have, I don't want you talking to that girl no more. She's not, she's not your friend and you have to stay focused. It's just going to interfere. And because it's going to interfere, if you lose, you're going to be a nobody. And I didn't raise no nobodies. And so the two of them can't be friends, mostly instigated by Blair. I'm sorry, Lisa. <laughs> And, uh, but then, uh, that, that was by her mother, but then, uh, Aaron's dad also is a, is a fucking D bag and telling her she can't be friends with, with Aaron. And then thankfully at the end, things come back together and all is good and right. Yeah. Happy ending. Mm-hmm. Well, that's been TV Talkaholics, ladies and gentlemen. We hope you enjoyed our show. Oh, no, 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 no. We are so not done. Talk to me. Tell me some opinions and felts that you I have find fielded. It fascinating that um, you mention specifically exploitation films because the first scene is graphically pornographic, mm. <laughs> and, and it's just. And there were a couple times in this movie where I cringed at how they were sexualizing these young women. Mm -hmm. 1981 man it was free roam free range it's a the scene is them a group of girls all twirling wearing 1981 fashions i get it so they're all coochie cutter shorts they're all mm -hmm. you know um sundress tops where tube it's tops like tube tops and yeah um and then for absolutely no other reason other than to start the movie this way to get your attention it starts raining on them <laughs> Yes. We begin this film with a wet t-shirt contest of teenage girls. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. It is crazy. And the other thing is there's a point later where one of the judges goes to one of the girls because her shorts are, are too short, like too yeah. revealing. At the beginning of it, whoever the woman is, that's the coach that's kind of running the girls through a routine to practice. She's in... It, it it looks like a half a leotard. It's like a tiny little bathing suit she's in. Heather Locklear in the performance might as well be wearing a thong. Yeah, like Heather you Locklear. Could literally yeah. see this difference in tanning from her butt cheeks to her legs. <laughs> it was she that outfit was so far up her ass that I felt uncomfortable watching. Yeah, yep, that's right. One of Heather Locklear's first gigs, in fact. Uh, we have other people in the film. Maybe let's go through some of the cast. I'm not going to do career retrospectives, Matthew, I promise. Um, but the deal is just to sort of give a, a little bit deeper understanding. Erin uh, Moran has a, a, a real family, a full family, a mother and a father, whereas Lisa Welchel is from a broken family with a single mom. Yeah. 
so uh, Aaron's family is her dad, played by Charles Hayde, H-A-I-D. He had a TV series called Del Vecchio uh, shortly after this. And then he played Officer Andrew Ranko on 144 episodes of Hill Street Blues after this. And he is angry AF in this movie. Oh, my God. And we don't find out why. Like, yeah, just a miserable, mean, just like awful. I didn't. Yeah. Like, there's nothing lovable about you at all. And they kept trying to say like, oh, he saved the town. He gave me money. Like, they try to make it out like he's this wonderful human, but we never see that. Like, they give him an award and they're like, you've done so much for this city. We don't know what he does, what his job is. I assumed he was the mayor or something by the way they were talking to him. But I don't think we ever find out what his business is. He mentions he made his business a success. But he's just a miserable man. Yeah. I, I was like, at least give me a reason why he's so mean. He's um he's also like the head of the planning committee. Lars, it's like he's like the chairman of the board. Like he's the one introducing the judges to the people and all that. But it's just, yeah, there's no sense of, well, he had a future in athletics and it slipped away from him. But yeah, no, he's just terrible. And he's the one saying the lines like. You don't come in second. Second place, still a loser. First place, only option. No daughter of mine is going to be a loser. I mean, bad stuff. I mean, it's an interesting choice to make it the stage dad instead of the stage mom, you know? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll give you that. And uh, speaking of, of all stage... things, a stage dad for a baton twirling contest? I know. What are you, queer? Jesus. Um, <laughs> it's like... I secretly wanted to be one of them pretty girls spinning them batons, but they told me I was strange when I wanted to do the things the girls did. At least that would have been something to play for crying out loud, that he was secretly trans long before it was fashionable to be so. And something the woman playing his wife would be very familiar with. Yes, I was going to say, speaking of stage moms, the mom of Erin Moran is... Donna McKechnie, Broadway dancer. Oh, the wonderful Tony Award winner. Mm Mm-hmm. Donna McKechnie was in the original Broadway cast of A Chorus Line in the coveted role of Cassie, the girl who had been a star but now just needed the fucking job and was back auditioning for the chorus. And it's a massive dance role, huge solo, and she played that role for, what, 25 years? (laughs) <laughs> she he did step back in every once in a while i think for publicity reasons to keep the show running i think she stepped back in a couple of times but she only did it for a couple of years um and then she was diagnosed with arthritis oh i didn't know that she was told she'd never dance again and she showed them in 1986 she stepped back into the role of cassie wow <laughs> And the chorus line was 1976, and it ran, did it run for 20 years? Um, no. Or longer? Like 15. Likely. Yeah, it was only 15 years. It closed in April of 90. Oh, okay, 15 years. Wow. I thought it was longer than that. Cats would then go on and surpass the record at that time as being the longest-running Broadway show. I liked Donna McKechnie the most, I think, in this movie. She was wonderfully sympathetic. And she's uh, a wonderful actress 
she is. And she tries to put up with her uh, piece of shit asshole husband and his driving the daughter crazy. And she's wonderfully sympathetic in the scenes between her and Erin Moran. When she and Erin Moran are together, I think the scenes are quite lovely. Well, yeah, except Erin Moran and Donna McKechnie look to be the same age. Because you remember when Aaron was on that episode of um, Finding Love for What's His Pussy? Chachi Finds Love or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Scott Bayo, yeah. 33 and single or something or 55. They brought, her, and... they brought her back to so they could film them having a date. And she was too batshit crazy for Scott Bayo. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, this is that 1980s where girls all dressed, young girls dressed and looked like 45 year old uh steno pool secretaries and yep. yeah unfortunately even though she is 20 she she doesn't look that much younger than the wonderfully youthful donna mckechnie yeah. uh who who is great on it i didn't realize donna mckechnie was on a lot of episodes of dark shadows yeah she's also sam's uh she dated sam on um cheers oh that's right that's right was she like his ex-wife it says on her IMDb that he was she was his ex-wife, but um, or it says on her Wikipedia page that she was his ex-wife, but the, um, they never established. I don't think that like it doesn't say anything on Cheers's page about her being his ex-wife. Oh, only on one episode. Interesting. Hmm. And then lastly, in this family, this is a family mother, dad, two daughters. Uh, the other daughter, the younger sister, is Missy Gold, whom everybody will know and remember and recognize from Benson. 158 episodes from 1979 to 1986. So this is in the middle of her Benson run. Yeah. So Missy the Gold. in the Gold Dynasty. Yeah, as opposed to Tracy Gold. Yeah, Tracy Gold is my age. She's 51. She's a year younger than I am, actually. That's why she's not getting work. Yeah. But yeah, her sister, Tracy Gold, is known for playing the daughter on Growing Pains also. So we've got these two sisters kind of like the sitcom daughters uh, for the 70s and the 80s. And uh, yeah, now in Lisa's camp, this is that was we're talking. That's Joni. That's Aaron Moran's camp. In Lisa Welchel's camp, we just have her and her mom her faded sad alcoholic man hungry pathetic single mother yeah played by uh stella stevens who was on flamingo road she was also on santa barbara um she has i think the most confusing hairstyle of all the hairstyles in oh this. Did God. you see? Did you see it? Did you notice? Yes, it was like Tracy Turnblad's hair grew out. <laughs> it's like blonde on top. She's got like four streaks of blonde, and then the rest of it's brown. What's what? that? And it's so weird. It's like, did was it like they attached a, a piece? Was it like a fall? And then she showed up the day of filming and was like, "Oh yeah, I decided to frost my tips," yeah. and they just went, "Well." We've got the brown wig. We're clipping it in and just letting shit fall yeah. where it does. 
weird. Very weird. It is blonde on the top, just framing the face. And you can sometimes do that, make the hair a little bit lighter to frame the face, makes it a little more natural, softer, but not when you have bleach blonde on the top and dark chocolate brown yeah. on the sides. And what comes out during the course of this is that there was a brief time that Stella, Lisa's mother, had an affair with Charles, Aaron's asshole dad, making yeah. him an even bigger asshole. But still laying the blame on her because yeah. she says he didn't ask for nothing. He gave me money because he he saved me. Like, again, he's this hero in disguise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she's like, I felt like I obligated. She says she felt obligated. Yeah. And then when she tells when when Lisa accidentally finds out about this affair, which I think was four years prior, it was just yeah. a fling, wasn't an ongoing deal. But. Her response is, I can't believe you're my mother. I, I can't even look at you. How could you? Yeah. And it's like, uh, bitch, she ain't married. She can fuck whoever she wants. She'll be talking to the dad saying, how could you, you piece of shit? Yeah. Oh, the burden always on the women. But this is right after he came in and grabbed her wrist mm. and said, I can hurt you in more ways than one. Yeah. And then later takes her and yeah. demands she get into his car. Oh, that's right. He says to her, says to her, get in the car before I throw you in. Yeah. To give her a dressing down because she fucks one of the judges thinking it will help Lisa win. That is a nice little cringy sequence of her seducing that judge in the hotel bar. Oh, my yeah. God. Cringy. And then when she gets out of the car, he like he stopped short of just pushing her out and keeping on driving like he the, the mistreatment of her and and her attitude being like look i i ain't proud of what i done but this and it's like she should be able to say who the fuck do you think you are i will fuck who i want if i think it's going to help my daughter's career you don't have any say in that go fuck yourself you could have ruined this whole thing for everybody and it's like it, it is just twirling right yeah, it's like I've said that several times throughout this movie. This is a baton twirling competition. Yeah. Like I said it out loud several times. Yeah. And um, the women are always on the, the defensive side. Even Donna McKechnie, for how much I love that performance, there was no time when the harshest thing that Donna McKechnie said to him was at the very end, she says, if you need four judges to tell you what kind of person your daughter is, then you're not the father you think you are. And that's it. I wanted Donna to push back. At one point when she's like, you're pushing her too hard. She's going to crack. He turns around and says to her, uh, well, I don't see you complaining about the house I give you. I don't see you complaining about not having to work all the credit cards, being able to buy things. It's like someone needs to punch this guy so hard but he's apparently the greatest samaritan this town has ever known <laughs> he done so much for our community he done brought the twirl to us because this is like a national competition that is happening in their hometown yeah 
So they do talk about that Lisa and Erin are conveniently the hometown girls. But we do have a, a roster of other girls coming in from other places. We have, as we mentioned, Heather Locklear. Heather Locklear is a delegate from California. Yep, that tracks. And then we also have um, an African-American. Uh, the actress is Connie Marie Brazelton. And she plays Nurse Connie Oligario in 113 episodes of ER in the 90s. Mm. So she would go on to do uh, another uh, big series. Um, but she's there and... Because she's kind of pointless in the movie. Uh, yeah. What we have is we have her driving home the point where when they ask her, when they ask you in the competition, what, what would your one wish be? And she says, I want my mom and dad to be proud of me. And then while they're talking about this at lunch, Missy Gold, who aspires to be a twirler herself, though God knows why, witnessing the fucking abuse happening against her sister <laughs> in the same realm. But she says to uh, she says to the black girl, uh, could I have your autograph? Like, it was so nice to hear some of the stuff she said and Aaron Moran's like, don't ask me for my autograph. What the fuck? And then storms out and is mad. But then by the end, Matthew, after we're going to spoil this, we're getting to the end. Now the dad pushes her too hard. They compete and Aaron drops her baton, which they could have ended the movie right there. Mm-hmm. And left us wondering who won because we have to suffer through yeah. the crowning. Yeah. And and they act like she's even they go third place, second place. And then as they're announcing first place, Donna McKechnie and this asshole, like holding hands like they're nervous. She dropped her baton. Yeah. And <laughs> she didn't get second or third. You really think she's gonna win? You think she's they're gonna give this to somebody who dropped their baton? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Like, why? All of the excitement of the crowning was gone when yeah. she dropped her baton. The yeah. whole movie was tied up. It didn't matter if Lisa won or if, um, Blair won or not, because yeah. we know Aaron Moran didn't. <laughs> that True. drove me nuts. I was like, well, what? They okay. I guess they're still hoping. That yeah, it, it is win. very, very, very weird. And the other thing to point out is when Erin Moran drops her baton. She finishes the routine, but then she runs into the to the locker room and is sobbing because she knows she's fucked it up. She knows that she cracked under the pressure. Well, that's when Lisa Welchel comes in and comforts her and hugs her when previous to that, it had been, I can't talk to you. We can't be friends anymore. Yeah. So that was where the healing began. Well, Lisa knew she, she was going to win. Yeah. <laughs> True. Well, I guess you took yourself out of this competition. Yeah. Butterfingers. Yeah. But uh, here's the deal, Matthew. Maybe they thought that uh, Aaron had a chance to win this because this competition was not just about twirling. Jesus we... H. Christ, David. <laughs> Were you as... Okay. The movie built... It's about two-thirds of the way into the movie when we finally get to the start of the tournament, the competition. And we have an interview portion. We have an evening gown of them just walking in and them grading them on how fucking pretty they look. Yeah. And then the talent. 
Oh, can we just say real quick, just let me interject. We don't have to discuss it. During the evening gown competition, for no explainable reason, for completely inexplicable reasons, a girl has a miscarriage. Let's just just leave that there. (laughs) Just another plot point, my dear listeners, to give you an idea of just out of left field things (laughs) happen in this film. The melodrama. Yes, that's true. A character we don't care about. We we it's not like she has had any lines or anything. Yeah. She suddenly has a miscarriage and has a moment with her mother. What? Yeah. It is so freaking crazy. The mother was a stage mother. The mother mother was pushing her a bit, but then the idea is that you know when when it happens and the doctor's like uh, she passed out because she was pregnant but had a miscarriage. Uh, I, I could have just not told you that and protected my patient's privacy, but <laughs> why not? But then they have a tender moment where the mother is sympathetic, where the mother does um, yeah. say, honey, this is, you are more important to me yeah. than this. But so it's a, it's a, what it's a, it's a interview. It's a, the evening um, gown, evening gown. And then talent, David. I Thank well, you. Is baton twirling not enough of a talent? (laughs) Thank you. And the funniest thing is we see Lisa playing the trumpet earlier. And it's like, okay, a little bit weird. Okay, she's playing the trumpet. I guess that's her way of unwinding, of dealing with the stress of, you know, having a whorebag, slutty, single mom. Uh, But the deal is, then when we cut to the talent portion, you see fingers on a piano playing uh, one of the famous which one was it bum ba bum ba da 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 was that thank it thank you for asking david it's chopin's um military polonaise okay well chopin's military polynesian sauce is being played exquisitely perfectly at concert level performance quality and then it cuts to the wide shot and it's supposed to be Erin Moran at the piano playing. We've never seen her touch or look at a piano for the entire thing, let alone practice as much as you would need to play that piece halfway competently. Yeah, and the stage dad has pushed all the twirling on her, but he's not worried about her getting out every note of Chopin's polonaise. But, um, and you say, We've never seen her even look at a piano. I don't think Erin Moran even had looked at a piano before she <laughs> sat down to pretend to act to play it. She's looking uh, at she's looking at the high notes on the high keys when the low keys are being played. Yeah. It's she's just it, everything is wrong with it. Almost as bad as Lisa's trumpet playing. Yeah, which is so obviously dubbed in later. And there's notes coming out when you can see her inhaling. Yeah. It's it's really and bad. Half half fingering. I played the trumpet. So, Did you? Yeah, I know the I fingering. knew you were a good fingerer. Yeah. Well, I have an amazing embouchure, David. Oh, do you? Yes. Okay. And and when Lisa is introduced, when it's like, okay, our next competitor is going to be, it says she's going to play a trumpet concerto by Haydn. Yeah. And she comes out and see and, and just blows the fucking horn. It's like you didn't even put a, a cassette tape in a boombox of the backup accompaniment that you could then 
you know, it's like you, you could do that to attract girl and it might be a little more effective. I've never heard it before, but the, it's an actual song, Trumpet Concerto, that hi, I hi. wrote for the trumpet. Was there anything behind it? Was there like supposed to be a also a piano and orchestra? I don't know. Now that you bring that up, I don't know. I'd be a lot of her standing around waiting for. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But just to verify, I'm not crazy that a, a trumpet concerto, concerto, a lot of people don't know is the Italian word for concerto and concert meaning things all multiply coming together in concert with one another that's what a concert is in the yeah uh so yeah, trumpet solo solo passage for trumpet by another composer sure i could i could sign off on that but uh, anyway bad trumpet lip syncing bad piano finger syncing and we also have girls tap dancing and playing the flute. They bring out a set of parallel bars. A set some, of parallel bars. For some bitch to do gymnastics. It's yeah. like, what the hell? But do you, I don't think they show it anymore, do they? The talent portion of Miss America. But do you remember when like Miss America, like I remember one time, like one came out and did like a comedy bit with a ventriloquist. And it yeah. was just so fucking weird that well yeah but the, miss america still has has talent but right. miss america is just a general pageant with certain divisions this is but an I, actual spinning to baton competition yes but it's like it's just funny to me like that they would choose oh what would this baton twirler in texas this female baton twirler in texas play in 1981 the trumpet yeah <laughs> Give and, her a harp or something. Something yeah. like that would be, I after everything else in this movie, I would expect a more sexist, like give her a flute or something. Because that's yeah, more yeah. of a female instrument, you know, a quote unquote female instrument. Yeah, there had been another girl there with a flute. But yeah, I'm going to go on record saying this, this may be sexist, this may be not. But just in general, trumpet, not really a girl instrument. Not really something that you see young girls in bands playing i mean i'm not saying never and there's no reason they can't it's just it's clearly not one of those instruments that girls are drawn to or that parents of girls move their girls toward playing yeah. probably for you know again about that embouchure and the fingering we had one in our marching band a female trumpet player did you out of like 20. huh yeah i don't think i don't know if there were any girl female trumpet players in my high school group, but uh, yeah. So this, this highly illogical, extremely confusing talent section. Oh, oh, Connie, the African-American. Uh, we underscore the entire thing with her singing, turn the beat around, love to hear percussion. Love that song. That way they get to use it and not pay the rights for it. Or... Oh. <laughs> but to me, I don't know how any of those girls could have possibly hoped to compete against Heather Locklear standing there with a skeleton and a wooden pointer 
and naming all of the bones in the human skeleton, one at a time, starting at the cranium. Giggity. <laughs> and I... Just 18-year-old Heather Locklear, naming bones. Naming bones, yeah. Again, there were some producers that were... Um, so yeah, this whole competition is so, so crazy. Finally, at the end, when we get to them actually outdoors doing the actual baton twirling and stuff, and it gets really exciting, but there's also a sense that, okay, the, the baton twirling vocabulary, uh, is uh, fairly limited, wouldn't you say? Well, how so? Explain what you mean. Just meaning th there's only so many different ways to spin, throw it up, catch it put your um put your hands at your neck and watch it flip around your head and your neck well funny you say that david because yes. i went on the youtubes and typed in um and did a search for baton twirling competitions did you matthew <laughs> what did you find the 2018 world championships were held right here in central florida at osceola high school really <laughs> Yes. Isn't there also one that they hold at, at ESPN down at Walt Disney World? I think that's like the Pop Warner twirlers, okay. like where your kid can't get into one, so you pay for him to be in one. Oh, dear. That's what Pop Warner is. Um, but, and um, <laughs> it's so funny because these two gays are the, like, Howard Cosell people. Like, <laughs> people talking over it, and it's like, the United States has never been in this position before. And one of the ones like, oh my God. And then they watch in silence as they watch this girl perform. And it is fucking amazing what she's doing. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, the athleticism without question. They, but it they cuts out at the end when the two gays both go, wow. <laughs> and the other one goes, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> Like you would have thought she just fucking went out there, spread her cheeks and shit out golden turds. <laughs> like, sorry to be graphic, but it's like they were just so blown away by this performance. Uh -huh. and it made me laugh because I have a question for you. Have you yes. ever judged a pageant? I have not. No, I've only judged uh, like high school theater students. Okay, but you, in, so you've been in that position. I've been I've been at a judge's table and giving feedback and scoring and rating. Yes, but not a sexist thing like that. No. As the local legend Carol Lee, mm -hmm. the drag legend that Carol Lee is, <clears throat> and for dear listeners, to become a drag legend means you've just been doing it for twenty years. <laughs> I have judged many a drag pageant, and. It is so fucking funny because like I like I hope we're gonna talk about the judges and this is kind of what I'm leading into. The judges. Oh do let's let's do do your segue because, and then I'm I'm on board. Because like who am I to judge this? Yeah. Like I don't know how well that girl just did on those balance beams. Was that a hard or was that like for a gymnast, was that like one level or was that like 10 level? Like I asked somebody posted a video on, on Instagram and of them doing the chorus line opening number. Yeah. And I commented, I said, for those of us that aren't dance literate on a scale of one to 10, is this opening number a 10 or like a one? 
So just give me an idea. And he goes, I would say it's like a 12. And I was like, shut the fuck up. Oh, really? <laughs> How many fucking people have been in a chorus line and don't get cast as the leads? Like, oh my God, you're that good to do that? And you and somebody's gonna be like, Yeah, not good enough to be Cassie. Fuck my dick. Oh my God. <laughs> but like judging these things, you're like looking at the person next to you, you're like, I don't know anything about the I don't know how good she was on the accordion i was she good yeah like somebody would sing and i'd be like okay i can judge this but then i've yeah. got tits mcgee sitting next to me which was a drag queen from tampa <laughs> sitting next to me who doesn't know shit about singing so she's like oh 10 10 10 and i'm like girl that was barely a four like yeah you know, <laughs> judging just fascinates me like at where they get these people to judge and this one especially because did you recognize the lead judge who is the famous but they don't tell you why or who yeah <laughs> they just oh yes as the famous the famous yes the actor i believe you're referring to is ed burns that's e-d-d don't spell it with one d he will fuck you up ed burns uh he was uh in 193 episodes of a TV show called 77 Sunset Strip from 1958 to 1963, playing the role of Gerald Kooky Cookson, which begot us the wonderful novelty song that was a top 10 hit, Kooky Kooky, Lend Me Your Comb, sung by the wonderful Connie Stevens. Uh, but most people, most lay people, and most people uh, not really, really, really fucking old like me will recognize him that he played Vince Fontaine in the movie Grease. Another lecherous role where he's hitting on teenage girls. Yeah. And like the makeup artist, he's like, uh, yeah, come on, uh, sweet tits. Let's get this going here. You need more cover up on this thing. Like he's, he's totally dismissive of women. He's kind of an asshole. To everybody at one point the other young pretty judge played by tracy scoggins who would go on to be on dynasty with heather locklear down the road uh she's supposed to be a dallas cowgirl cheerleader that's what she's playing as a judge at one point they're putting on their badges and he's putting her badge on and she's wearing a tube top and he's reaching inside no inside in between her titties putting on the thing for and she's all <laughs> yeah. he's he's touching me and i didn't ask him to he <laughs> it's like oh my god so that leads my question like was it what is it about this time period where we were told that these unattractive men were attractive yeah and like, could get away with that guy, shit. yeah this guy, Richard Dawson, for Christ's sake, mm, and yes. fucking Doc from the Love Boat were all heartthrobs. <laughs> they were swimming in deep dish pussy. Now, that does stand to reason because in this time period during porn, this is when like Ron Jeremy was big yeah. as far as male porn stars went. He's disgusting. <laughs> and and he's a garbage human being as well from what i understand yeah and he's not hot to watch in porn yeah so it's just it's like what why this guy yeah like, well my theory my explanation is the fact that all of entertainment was run by men 
at that time. And all of entertainment was old white male fantasy. So the idea is that if this guy could be this much of a douche and still allegedly be catching a lot of tail, same thing with the Ron Jeremy's. It's like, yeah, you've got the pretty woman in the porn that a guy that looks like this Schlemiel, this nebbish, uh, you could maybe score a hot chick like this yourself in your right. porn fantasies. I think that's what's going on here. It's aspirational uh, because it's, you know, the, oh, you, d- d- uh, American beauty. Do not get me started. Never seen it. It won best fucking picture. And it is about Kevin Spacey as a dad wanting to fuck his high school daughter's best friend. And almost getting there. And the entire movie is just this creepy old white guy fantasy of fucking a pretty teenager. And it won best goddamn picture. Yeah, it had Annette Benning for color. It had some cool performances by Wes Bentley and Thora Birch and all that stuff. A lot of window dressing. But at the core of it was Kevin Spacey. Already creepy. Not even in hindsight. He was already creepy even back then, as far as I'm concerned. So American Beauty is a great example of how... That was like 99, wasn't it? American Beauty was far after this. And it was still one of those things that was just perpetuating this gross thing of old, lecherous dudes. And I'm glad, you know, hashtag time's up. Uh, I'm I'm glad we're seeing somewhat of the tide turning where people are going, you know, no. You know what? Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag knock it off, guys. You guys. Come Please. on, you guys. Uh, no, you. <laughs> oh, and the other, just while we're here in the land of misogyny and grossness, There is a a young driver of one of the vans to get the girls from here and there, a young redheaded guy. Yeah. It's actor Christopher McDonald. Do you recognize him? Yeah. He was Thelma's wife, or he was Thelma's husband in Thelma and Louise. Mm Mm-hmm. And a fuck ton of other movies and stuff, usually playing gross skeevy dudes. Yeah. Kind of, sort of. Well, at one point, he pretty much throws Heather Locklear into his child molester van. Yeah. And then later, when the button-up female judge is out with the disgusting, gross, misogynistic uh, Vince Fontaine judge, they catch them in the van, and he's on top of her, and there's noises coming out that don't sound like, he, 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 we're having fun. Yeah. And yet Heather Locklear is like, we, we weren't we weren't doing anything. You're going to disqualify me. I, I snuck out the window. I'm sorry. And then, then the, part of me is like, you know, at least the, the judge, the woman judge says like, girl, are you for real? Do you? The, the movie is so unclear whether Heather Locklear really wanted to be there or whether we've just interrupted a fucking rape. Um, and, and also, again, she does victim shame her. <laughs> She's like this is all your fault yeah you know what could have happened there's only half a bottle gone what could have happened and it's like well did you want to talk to that guy who did this lady like i would have preferred a dressing down of him rather than a dressing down of 
Heather. The the Bob innocent. Was. Yeah, exactly. It's ugh. the other judge, the head judge, so to speak, is Giggity. the wonderful um, Sharon Spellman. <laughs> Love her in this movie. <laughs> Who? This accent is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's um, the only thing I knew her from was um, she played a doctor on one episode of the Golden Girls when the girls had the flu. And of course, somehow in Miami, they had a, a doctor that was making house calls. Um, <laughs> and this woman, this Sharon Spellman shows up and um, they make comments about, I don't know how I feel about being examined by a female doctor in 1986. <laughs> so I love how everybody's like, oh, the Golden Girls pushed the envelope. They did, but there were some things that was like, mm. um, but, and then she says, so if it makes you feel better, I used to be a man. That was her big punchline. <gasps> oh my God, I remember that. <laughs> she says, I'm oh kidding. My a little doctor humor, a little female doctor humor. I remember that. Yes, nothing like a good trans joke. Um, yeah, again, that's another whole time's up with that shit too. But um, honestly, I think her performance in this, yeah, the accent's a little broad, as are many of them. She is, she's still got a bouffant hairdo. She has still got on her Chanel suit. She is d- dressed to look out of date and out of step and buttoned up and super conservative. She's the one that goes over and says, uh, your panties are sh- too short. Yeah. Yeah. Uh but then in another softcore porn scene where we're just watching girls twirl batons and very short skirts and Heather Locklear with no bra on because mm. she's full nipples out. Yeah. It's like they put ice on her nipples before they set action for Christ's sake. <laughs> I'm not saying I've done that, but it, it does help draw attention. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> and oh, just another sidebar about Heather Locklear. In the evening gown competition, they they look horrible. Joni is wearing a fucking off the shoulder la- white lace dress, like a mother of the bride type of a thing. Lisa Welchel is wearing a fucking floral print hobby, Holly Hobby sister wife dress. And, and then it's 1981. Have you ever seen like a wedding picture from 1981 where oh. no one looks comfortable? Like- <laughs> No one looks like this is, oh, I feel so good in this. Nobody looks like that. Nope. That never been said in 1981. But Heather Locklear comes in, in the evening gown. She is wearing this silver, um, what do you call it? Halter, halter mm-hmm. thing. Show, shows off the shoulders. It comes up the middle, goes around her neck. She could wear that dress today on the red carpet. And she would look exactly that. I mean, what does Heather Locklear look like now? She looks like she's five years older than she does here. She's so fucking gorgeous. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, Jesus Christ, that girl has got a good surgeon. Because she's (laughs) amazing. But the thing is, particularly that when it comes to dressing and fashion, thank God classics have come back that like the trendy things they never look good in hindsight, but that type of a cut of dress is just a classic, almost hearkening back to an old style Hollywood thing. But Heather Locklear in this competition, if there was an even, I mean, whatever the scores were for the evening gown, Heather Locklear fucking crushed the other girls, at least by 2021 standards. 
So who else? There was another judge. Oh, the other judge is the sort of dorky, bald guy. I mean, perfectly cast, but like I said, so cringy when Lisa's mother meets him at the bar and flirts and seduces him and takes him, goes up to his hotel room with him and fucks him and ugh. There were a lot of things that bothered me and I feel like they used a lot of Hollywood tropes. And I want to know if these are Hollywood tropes, if you think so. Okay. Trope number one. I feel like Hollywood and advertising seems to think that families sit down and have a Denny's style fucking breakfast served to them by their mother while Mm. they sit around a table every day. Was that your experience growing up? Breakfast with the whole fam damnly? sitting around the table no my sister and i from the time we were going to school uh we my dad would put out a bowl and a spoon for each of us and a flintstones chewable vitamin and it was up to us part of our morning getting ready for school and i'm, I'm talking you know grammar school we knew how to get a box of cereal out of the cabinet we knew where the milk was in the fridge and how to pour milk over cereal. And that was our breakfast. We did that on our own. My mom never cooked breakfast for us until many, many years later. And even then it was like on a Sunday, maybe my mom would make pancakes or something. Yeah, I, that's true. Yeah, or waffles or something. Yeah, that might be a Sunday special thing. But it but... was still never us all sitting around like, oh, I'm I'm late for school, but let me sit down and have a waffle, some bacon, some... <laughs> Some eggs. Some scrambled eggs. And yeah. Jesus Christ. I get it. The mom has nothing else to do. Mm -hmm. I get it. But I just wondered if that was a trope for you. That is that is a trope in in that it is a thing they often do. And that wasn't my experience. We never did a sit down breakfast. Uh, You know, my mom, before my mom went back to work, which is when I was like in fourth grade or so. when my mom went back to work and then it was she was up in the morning getting ready like the rest of us she was throwing an ego waffle into the toaster for herself and i could scramble an egg and i could make peanut butter jelly toast which i still enjoy a lot to this day do you eat that on your loaf bread (laughs) that you keep in in the refrigerator I do it from the fridge. I do because I toast it. Another Hollywood trope is when somebody has to acknowledge that somebody's drunk and they look him in the eyes and go, you're drunk. (laughs) Yep. Have you ever dealt with a drunk person where you had to be like, you're drunk? Yeah. Typically a drunk person isn't really receptive to hearing that anyway, (laughs) really. Come on. I just I can't imagine in life where I would ever come up and have to be like, David, you're drunk. <laughs> like, like, like that's gonna snap you into like, oh my god, I yeah. am. Oh, yeah. stop. I should I should get off Matthew. I'm drunk. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, and the last one that I have is a Hollywood trope is secret handshakes. Where did that come into play here? She did one with fucking twirlers, twirlers promise. And then they do this fucking handshake. Oh, you're and then right. Claire did one with her mom later on. That was completely different. Oh. Did people have those? Did anybody have those? Like, was that a thing? Yeah. And a handshake is a fairly visible public thing. Once one does a secret handshake, 
is it really a secret anymore? <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. I've never been a party to a secret handshake. Yeah. It's where it's like we're playing patty cake for eight minutes. You know what I mean? And it yeah. always seems like like, oh, like Arnold Jackson had one with with his friends. And, you know, Tootie has ones with her friends. And yeah, like the sharks and the jets would have one. And it's like, I don't know that that ever really happened. And yeah, it's yeah. kind of like we talked about before in high school. It's like, you're a junior. I don't hang out with juniors. Okay, shut up. <laughs> Nobody has ever said those fucking words. So anyway, that bothered wow. me. And then the final thing that bothered me was that this fucking thing is a full scholarship. You win this, you get a full scholarship to college, David. Was it? Is that what it yes, was? That was the number one prize. A full scholarship to college to the Beaufort Texas Community College two-year program I mean I know that the the second uh prize winner the second prize was three thousand dollars yeah and the third place winner won two thousand dollars right and and by the way third place winner the character's name is Kim King an Asian girl <laughs> and her character was from Orlando Florida Orlando, represent 1981. Epcot was being built. Mm -hmm, true. So true. Uh, so my last notes here, just a couple of random things, is yeah. that um, when they're giving the speech about, you know, you are now the fucking patent speech about this is the most important competition of your lives, ladies. You will be forever changed and nothing. But as it pans across the faces of the girls, including the extras that were hired, all of them look 40. All yeah. of them, except Lisa Welchel and Heather Locklear. Yeah. It's like, what is happening? What did you do, 1970s, that everyone in 1981 looks like this? Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. And the last note that I have that we have not discussed, Matthew, is one that we actually technically have discussed before. How many references are there in this film to Lisa Welchel's weight? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's I did notice her bazooms. I mean... You don't really, those aren't really on display on Facts of Life at this point. Like, she, yeah. And even her mother refers to her as buxom. Yeah. Well, and then when they ask, what do the girls want? What would their wish be? Yeah. Black girl said, I want my parents to be proud of me. Lisa Welchel said uh, that I could lose 20 pounds so my mother will get off my case or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And then she and Aaron are talking and she's like, I can't believe you just eat that and you never gain anything. I do. And then the, and, at one point, Erin Moran doesn't give her, like, like, can I have some of your French fries? She's like, no, you don't need them. It's like, basically calling her a fatty fat. And this is season three Blair Warner, where we've said, Lisa Welchel is not skinny, but she looks fine. She's curvy and she is gorgeous. And it's almost like still baby fat on her, you yeah. know? Like, and I mean, also, I mean, they did edit out when Joni was like, well, you could do cocaine and eat all you want. <laughs> oh my goodness. And in reference to that, Matthew, I want to share with you something that I did not expect to find. When I went and looked this up on Amazon, where you can purchase the uh, VHS tape of this movie twirl, if you want to fire up the VCR, 
you know for the blu-ray yeah there are two reviews okay okay the second review is was written in january of 2003 by a woman named susan alston only gave it two stars (laughs) and the title of it is twirl question mark question mark and she puts yes hollywood did its best with this movie but it really is fun to watch I twirled for 10 years and my coach was actually Blair's baton twirling double, plus a lot of extra padding. It isn't realistic, but that's what movies are about. That's it. That's the whole review. Plus a little extra padding. Excuse me, bitch. But no, but what it is is that at the end when they're doing the super high energy choreographed baton routines, that's not Aaron Moran. That's not Lisa Welchel doing those routines they they can do they do some baton twirling they're both capable of doing it but like the heavy duty thing the heavy duty routines you see them only in full body and from the back so i assume they were stand-ins and it did occur to me that oh wonder if you know how they did that in terms of would they have had to cast a less emaciated twirler to do the routine for Lisa. But according to this, they did use a, a twirler and just padded her costume to match, you know, big old fatty fat size eight, yeah. uh, 100 pound, five foot two Lisa Welchel, you know, that goddamn water buffalo heifer. Yeah, I don't like that at all. Uh, but Amen. how funny to just point that out in the review on Amazon. Ugh. <laughs> uh. Wow. You also want to know who is, according to the interwebs, the greatest um, baton twirler of all time, David? Who is the greatest baton twirler of all time, Thank you Matthew? Thank you for asking. Um, they, her name is Stacy Singer, and she was the youngest person to ever win a world championship when she was eight. <gasps> Holy shit. And honestly, like, pull up some baton twirling champion, like, videos. Like, they're doing amazing things, but I Mm -hmm. just, I cannot imagine it encompassing my whole life. I just can't. Yeah. It looks, to me, it looks like gymnastics plus a prop. Like, they're doing what is essentially gymnastics moves. That's the level of athleticism you need to have. And then on top of that, you add this other element of the, the twirling, spinning baton that may do it the other review by the way on amazon i wasn't going to share this but it's funny that we bring this up uh this one gave the movie five stars her name is mk and she says my mom bought this movie for me when i was like eight or something because back then i was really into baton twirling eventually i quit trying to craft my skills at this because it is just too hard and two black eyes were enough for me but i still love this movie etc etc so yeah, that baton comes down. You don't catch it. You get fucking bludgeoned, I'm sure. That's going to well, hurt. There's the scene that Blair puts on a helmet when true. she's in practice. True. Very, very true. And uh, uh, yeah. And it was also, I think the producers considered it like a girdle for her head because they thought that her skull was also looking a little fat <clears throat> in the in the production. You know, because Lisa Welchel, she was just, man... I, I don't know how they found a wide enough lens to fit her into this movie. Well, Matthew, 
David. <laughs> Any final thoughts? Um, now, here's the thing. I enjoyed the film, David. Mm -hmm. I did not enjoy it. I mean, it's what I what, do I need to watch it again? No. But I love like slice of life documentaries. You mm -hmm. know, like I have watched, there's a documentary about the world championship of Monopoly. Oh, yeah. It's fascinating. And like there again, there are people that are in that world that they're interviewing, like at the hotel where it takes place. And they're interviewing a guy and he goes, oh, oh my God. Bill Farsmeller just walked in. He was, he was Bill, Bill Farsmeller. He just oh my God. walked in. <laughs> Guys. And, and, and then they show this nerd walking around the lobby of the Radisson in Las Vegas uh -huh. and acting like he's fucking Elvis Presley. And it says, Bill Fartsmeller, World, World Monopoly champion, 1988, 1991. Like, wow. It just, so it fascinates me. There's this one about the World Championship of Scrabble, for Christ's sake. By the way, do you know what you win if you're the World Champion of Monopoly? What, what, what could you possibly win? You win the amount of money that is in a Monopoly game. Which is? Like $25,000 or something. Wow. It's not, it's not even worth it. If you offered me $25,000 now just to sit down and play a game of Monopoly with you, I, I would pause and consider what else was on my plate. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Monopoly, fuck me, what a, uh, But, so I'm fascinated with like people whose lifestyle, like, like these people, it is, that is the most important fucking thing in their world. Yeah. There's a scene where Blair's mom is looking through a giant scrapbook. Oh my God. That you would think she was going through her career as a Broadway star. Yes. <laughs> She's got cuttings. She's got photos. She's got yep. newspaper articles. She's got awards in it. And it's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I have a friend on Facebook who is, um, she shows um, Whippet dogs. Okay. But, I'm, I'm not familiar, it's, but. It's a whole, like, she'll post something about it. And 500 responses from these people that are also involved in this that are like, oh, don't buy this crate for this dog because that crate will make the dog have the runs and you don't want the dog to have the runs. Oh, I did the sniff, I did the sniff race today. And it's like, what the fuck is a sniff race? It's where you hide <laughs> something and the thing has to find it. It's fascinating to me, these people, that their whole world revolves around this one thing and that's what they know. That's yeah. what they live and that's their life. These people wake up every day looking forward to playing a game of Monopoly. This one guy has his person, has his own like gold-plated Monopoly guy or token. whatever. Token. And he carries it around with him at all times because why? You never know when a Monopoly game is going to start up. <laughs> he said that. Like... <laughs> How, how often in the past 10 years, David, have you been out when a, a Monopoly game just started? This, this spontaneous Monopoly is not a, a term I've ever used in my life. Oh, it just fascinates wow. me. These but yeah, well, it's like Best in Show where, you know, the idea of that exactly. the dog breeding and, you know, Best in Show takes it to a wonderfully comedic exaggeration of that. But the thing is that there are enough people in the world that any type of a, a niche or a lane. Now we have the internet where we all can find each other, where you can find 
a podcast breaking down episode by episode the facts of life. <laughs> and when you realize on this planet of seven and a half billion people, there are tens of them that are as obsessed with the facts of life as we are. <laughs> There's a documentary about pinball collectors, pinball machine collectors. Oh, okay. Are batshit. And they're trying to figure out how to get um, um, pinball into the Olympics. Oh, and Christ. there's one about air hockey. There's one about air hockey, David. And this guy lives in a van because his dad disowned him because he doesn't want to work at the family car dealership. He wants to spend his time playing air hockey, David. <laughs> and you say there's one about, is, is this a series you're talking about? What no, is there's all movies. So just documentaries you can find on what, like Prime or Netflix? Netflix? Prime. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. I mean, like that Donkey Kong one, the King of Kong. Yeah. Oh, sure. People yeah. Yeah. Fucking their whole life revolves around video games from the 80s. Yeah. Not even video games that are today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so if you like a slice of life about how crazy the baton twirling people are, by all means, check out Twirl, David. I think, I think people absolutely should, Matthew. Well, I think we've pretty much come to the end. I think there's nothing more to be said about this. Uh, Tutti Fruities, I hope you enjoyed watching it. Um, I noticed that Marion H. had made a comment. I think she put, what, fool me twice? Something like that. Because <laughs> she, I think she still has not forgiven us for making her watch The Mouseketeers, as <laughs> she told us in the clip show. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Marion, if you watched it, I hope you enjoyed it. And... Uh, all the Tutti Fruities, I thank you so much for supporting the show and for supporting us. And uh, we hope you enjoyed it. We're going to be back next month with another TV Talkaholics. And if I can get Matthew to sign off on it, I want to share a picture on the Patreon of Matthew deliberately framing his Emmy Award. Matthew, may I, may I share this picture? I will look at it first. Okay. I hope you I hope you approve it. But until next month, guys, thank you so much for supporting the show. We so appreciate your being Let's Face the Facts fans and for being uh, Tutti Fruity supporters. And uh, until next month, this is me saying goodbye and, and... And me saying David has clearly, obviously fallen in love with me. Has he? Will they, won't they? Stay tuned to the Facts of Life for season seven. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen when <laughs> Garrett leaves. You don't know. Oh, oh, okay. Stay stay tuned and find that out. That's that's going to be a real nail biter. Yeah, we love you. Bye-bye. I'm going to go snack on some fruit. <laughs> <laughs>